Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope you enjoy this podcast and we pray that it blesses you. For any information on this sermon or our other resources, visit thrivechurch.co.nz. Hey, it's really cool to see everybody this morning. Give me a quick wave if you were here last Sunday when we had Daz Cheadle speaking. Who was here? Awesome, cool. For those of you who, who missed it, please, please check out the podcast because it was an outstanding word. Des has just come back from Nigeria where he was in meetings with you know up to a million people um, pretty much at a time, give or take, um, and just saw God do incredible miracles, incredible healing, just, you know, the population of Rangura over and over and over responding at once to salvation altar calls. And uh, he just brought an incredible faith word to, to partner in our vision of, of seeing us impact and reach 10,000 people and just really deposited something uh, for us and then had people come up the front. And, you know, if, if you just want to be all in with Jesus, you don't want to be lukewarm. You just want to be hot. You want to go, man, I want, I want to live for you, Jesus. And then come up the front so that, you know, heaps of people came up and Glenn's standing over here going, oh, I'd like the, the ministry team just to come pray. And I'm, and I'm looking as I'm in the line of people standing up and the whole ministry team pretty much is responding. We're all getting saved again. Um, and it was just an incredible, good, heart, messy time of just hearing the simplicity of, of the gospel. As Paul said, I, I, I want to do nothing else other than preach the simplicity of Christ crucified. I don't want to give complicated words. I don't want to give big ideas. I just want to preach Christ crucified because I know that it's a message that will bring hope and freedom everywhere I go. And so as I looked at so many of us responding, this week I've just been thinking about what can I bring as a practical thing on the back of what Dad's brought, on the back of our 21 days of love that I could put in your hands that you go, well, there's something practical that I can do to continue on that journey. Because when we come to church and we have a great meeting and we go, oh man, that was really amazing. And then we go about our week. Generally, what I find is that I've got like a conveyor belt in my mind and good things hop on the conveyor belt. And as my week goes past, they just drop off the end of the conveyor belt. And unless I take them off the conveyor belt and I begin to do things with them, then they just fall off and it was all for a little bit of nothing. So today, my, my plan today is to give you one practical thing um, for our heart that we can then step into and do to continue building on what love looks like in our community. Jesus said before he went to heaven to his disciples, I've got a plan for you guys and it's pretty radical. I want you to go into all the earth and I want you to disciple nations. I want you to take nations, train nations one-on-one from the littlest to the biggest, and I want you to bring nations into what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Just go out and disciple nations. That was what his last message was to them, but he took them through a series of training for years before he did that. And Thrive Church here, this is like our Sunday morning when we get together. It's our family time, but this isn't actually church. It's just a service. It's a, it's a time when we meet. So this is, like, this is our gathering and our sending pivotal point 
in, in the life that we have as Christians. This is where we come to get trained, where we come to be blessed. Where we, some of us have had prophecies spoken over us. We've had encounters. We've had healings. We've had supernatural experiences. We've had great teaching. We've had truth put in us. And, and, and I love it. I love coming to church because I love to be blessed because I love just being blessed. But I also want blessing to flow out from myself. I want blessing to flow out from us. And so Jesus spent years training his disciples. And before he gave them the great commission, he sent them out on a mini mission. So what he did uh, in Mark chapter six is he got his 12 disciples together and said, hey, what I want you to do, I'm gonna send you out in pairs. Okay, so we're gonna have six teams of two and you're gonna go out on a mission. And this is what I want you to do. I I want you just to take a, a staff with you You can go with the sandals that you've got. Don't take an extra shirt. Don't take any food with you. Don't take any extra money and just go into towns. And when you get into a town, I just want you to preach. I want you to tell people that I love them. I want you to tell them that I've got a plan for them. I want you to tell them that I've got a purpose for them. I want you to tell them that the kingdom of heaven is right here and to begin to take hold of it. If you see people that have got like afflictions of demons, well, here's some authority. You've now got it. Tell the demons to go away and they'll go away. If you see sick people, anoint them with oil, pray for them, and they'll recover. So these guys went out and they began to do these things. And imagine this morning, if I just went, Gigi, you're number one, Tara, you're number two, James, you're number one, Amy, you're number two. And we just went like that. And I said, all right, all the number one's on this side, all the number two's on that side. Face each other, grab a buddy. And tomorrow, what I want you to do is I want you to go to work. And when you get to work, if you see anyone that's struggling with depression or they've got anxiety or anything like that, I want you to begin to pray for them. If you see anybody that's got a physical sickness, just put some oil on them and they're going to get instant healed and just tell everybody that Jesus loves them. And then when we get back together next week, everybody's going to tell me about the different miracles that took place. That was Jesus' strategy, okay? And so these guys go out and do it, and they have an incredible time. Like they're out there, and they're they're moving in so much power that Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven like a lightning bolt to the earth, totally dethroned the process and the power of of the authorities is beginning to shift as the power of Jesus is released to mankind, and mankind begin to retake dominion over the earth. And this is the catalyst moment of the church beginning to form itself with Jesus having done things, now people going with the power of Jesus, but Jesus not having to show them every step of the way. And so they have this incredible time, and then they come back to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, like, this is amazing. Everything happened, and they're really pumped. They want to tell Jesus all about it. But Jesus Jesus has just had some other news. See, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin or second cousin, and he'd been arrested, and he just had his head chopped off, which is a really bad day for him. And so Jesus just got told, hey, John the Baptist, who laid the platform for your ministry, you know, you probably grew up with this guy, you know, Elizabeth was your mum's auntie, and so you probably like, these guys were pretty much almost the same age, they probably played soccer together, shared lunches with together, which was really good, because Jesus would just make John's lunch go further, and then after a while, John just got an appetite for locusts, and so Jesus like, I cool bro, tapping out of that, Um, see you later, and so he's like, man, John's dead. And so Jesus is in this moment where he's now having to process the grief that he's had a relative murdered, and now he's got the expectation of his disciples coming, wanting attention, but then a crowd begin to gather around. Because everybody sees Jesus, everybody wants a piece of Jesus, and so 
Jesus is in this moment where he's got disciples wanting my attention. The masses are wanting my attention. I'm trying to process the grief, the grief, the grief, thank you very much, the grief that John's just been murdered. And so he looks at his disciples who are tired, they're worn out, they've been on this incredible mission, and it says there were so many people around them, they were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. So Jesus says, hey guys, I've got a plan. Let's just get out of here. Like, let's just boost it. Let's go. Let's get on a boat. Peter's really excited because this is his moment to shine. He's like, I get to do something. So he's on there and, he, and he's sailing off. And all the crowds are watching going, oh, we see where they're going. We see where they're going. We see where the wind's going. We see what's happening. There's a current. Okay, they're going to that town. And they all start boosting around the shoreline just like the flash, telling everybody as they're going, Jesus is going over there to avoid us. We'll find him there. So they get there. Jesus arrives with the disciples on the other side. And there's a massive crowd there. And the disciples, are they're pretty annoyed. Like they're just wanting their Jesus time. And they've been out doing the hard yards, praying for the sick, casting out demons. They've been doing all the incredible stuff and they just want their reward time. They're, like for me, I, I totally understand where they're at. You know those moments where you feel like, God, I've been doing so much. I, I just want to be still now and know that you're God. God, I'm just going to have a still moment. But then people just seem to just want something. And you're like, I don't want you to want something right now. This is my still moment. And then you look and you see, where's Jesus right now? And Jesus is like, I want you to go love that person. Like, oh, I don't want to love that person. Like I was chatting to Rowanna the other day because some lovely young person wrote Jesus is king in the dust in the back of my car. And we're driving and people are like cutting us off and we can't toot or anything because Jesus is king is written in the back of my car. So it's like, oh, this is just irritating right now. You know, I've got to like, I've got to represent Jesus everywhere I go. I said, like, this is a challenging thought, you know. And so like, they're, they're in this space. It's like, oh, there's people. Like, I'm over the people. Uh, I, I've been doing youth ministry for, for five years. And the reason why I'm stepping back from it is because I just felt God beginning to say, hey, I'm going to start doing some new things. There's some big things I'm wanting to roll out in this town. There's some great things. And like the youth ministry is going to need to have a dedicated focus. You've actually just got to take your hands off it and release it to make room for what I'm doing. But over the last five years, I've had some pretty crazy experiences with young people. Like young people, they're just, they're very special. Like you have some young people that are just like, they're amazing. And then other young people are like, whoa, this, how did your brain come to that conclusion? I mean, one of the most common conversations I have with young people when they begin to tell me about the problems they have in their life and what, they're like, what should I do? And I'll sit there for about half an hour and they'll tell me everything that's going on. And they're like, what do you think I should do? One of the number one pieces of advice that I give is this, go to bed earlier. Okay, this will solve half your problems in life. The other half is stop breaking the law. Like, if you stop doing illegal things, you'll stop getting in trouble. Like, this is the way the system works. You're like, stop doing those things. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to stop. I'm totally, you've you like changed my life. And now they'll be crying and they're like praying for them. Like, Jesus, I'm sorry that I stole that. I'm sorry that I smoked that. I'm sorry that I slept with that person. I'm sorry I stole that car. And, and I'm, that's going on. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I hope I never get called to testify. That's okay. I'm covered by the Minister's Act of the Privacy you know, and then like, I'll catch up with them two weeks later. I'm like, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, yeah. 
I go, how did that thing go when we talked about we weren't going to break the law anymore? And they were like, yeah. I'm like, do you want to talk about it? And they go, do you want to hear about it? And I go, no, I don't. And they're like, why don't you want to hear about it? I'm like, because you're so frustrating. And then they'll be like, all right, and then I'll pray for them. They'll cry and they'll do this again. And then they'll be like, sweet. And then a couple of days will go past and they'll be like, you know, I'm just ready to go to bed and my phone will ring and I'm looking and I go, do I answer, do I answer, do I answer, do I answer, do I answer? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? I don't actually know. I'll answer to find out. I'm like, hey, what's up? Uh-huh, uh-huh. You're where? Uh-huh. Sweet ass, bro. Just call Mitch and he'll sort it out, all right? And I'm like, damn, I'm tapping out. So, so they, get to, they get to the other side and the disciples, they've just been dealing with all of this stuff. They're just surrounded by stuff and they get to the other side and there's people wanting more stuff. They want more from the disciples. They want more from Jesus. Jesus is processing with grief. He doesn't want to deal with the stuff. That's why he left the people to go hide from the people. Like he's fully human, fully God. He's being real. And he gets to the other side and there's all these people and they just want stuff. They don't want to be his friend. They don't want to give him anything. They just want to take, 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 take. That's what they're there for. They want to receive from him. And so they get to the other side and it says this incredible line in Mark chapter six, Jesus saw the crowd and his heart was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And there's something that began to shift in Jesus' heart. As he saw the crowd, compassion began to take place. I remember a wee while ago, I was ran with uh, Ricky Boyce, and we were praying for, for a young person because I, I just got to the point where I was like, only a miracle now is going to help this person. Like, I have exhausted all of my wisdom in the first week of this relationship, and now it's 18 months, and I've made no progress, and I just don't know if I can work with this young person anymore. God, I'm just, I'm done. And as I began to pray, and began to see once again the heart and the plan that Jesus had for that person. I began to cry, and it was the first time I'd cried in front of Ricky, and we were praying by his pond, and I was like, I don't know if he's going to think this is cool or really lame. When you begin to tap into Jesus' heart, and you begin to tap into compassion, what I believe happens is that God knows that we've got a limited amount of capacity. And that's why he says, be still. That's why he says, lie down on the green pastures. But there are also times where we reach the edge of our capacity and we tap into the compassion that he has. And it's like it clicks over into a whole nother fuel tank. And we begin to have the Holy Spirit flow through us in a different way because we've tapped into the compassion of Jesus and something supernatural can begin to take place where we begin to transition from our power into His power. His emotional energy can actually begin to substitute into our lack of emotional energy. It's really cute. This wee baby keeps waving to people at the back, and the whole time I thought they were waving at me like I was preaching really good, and I've just realized that there was a baby. So they get there, and Jesus' heart is moved with compassion. Brothers, Bible says they were made for adversity. Oh, good times. Okay, so, so they're there. Jesus preaches all day. So the disciples have been traveling. They found Jesus. Jesus wants to ditch the crowd. He's like, well, I'm going to sit in the boat because that's what he does. You guys do all the sailing. 
take me to the other side so I can relax. So they get to the other side and there's a crowd there and the disciples are frustrated because they still don't, we just want to eat the food. We couldn't eat over there. We had to sail here and now we're here. We just want to eat the food. Jesus preaches all day. It's going forever. And then Jesus says, we've got to feed these people. There's 5,000 people here at least. Let's feed them. How are we going to do it? Now, Mark's great because all the other gospels talk about the fact pretty much that the disciples found a boy with two fish and five loaves of bread. And they're like, this boy's got some food. In Mark, it says, Jesus told us to feed them. And then when Jesus said, what food do you have? Mark's like, well, this is the only food that we've got. Mark's making it sound like this is his lunch. And so Mark's got, Mark, even like John writes, like Jesus is so amazing, I love him. Luke writes, you know, the details of the miracles. Matthew's like real attention detail, 28 chapters. Mark's like 16 chapters, and he's like, this was annoying, and this was annoying. He's the most real dude of them all. Like, I'm a Mark for sure, okay? And so this is what happens. They're like, well, you feed them. And oh, they're so annoyed. They're like, Jesus, we've only got this food and we had to steal it from this kid. Like, you know, we didn't get to eat there. We didn't get to eat here. It's been all day. We've been being amazing. Just celebrate how good we are, okay? Stop having compassion on the people. I've had enough. So Jesus does a miracle, feeds them all. They gather up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And then, you know, the disciples are like, okay, sweet as, now we're going to have our Jesus time. It says that Jesus immediately told them to get into the boat and sail away from him. So they're like, well, Jesus, are you you for real right now? Like, we've got 12 baskets of food, bro. Like, let's party up. And he's like, no, go right now. Get in the boat. Off you go. And so the crowds dissipate. The boat leaves. And Jesus climbs up a mountain because now he's like, now I want my time. And if it were me, I'd be checking into a motel and just watching Netflix. Um, But Jesus goes, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray all night because that's the logical thing to do. I'm going to process my grief. I've just poured out. I'm going to spend the night with my father. So he says he climbs a mountain and a storm begins to pick up on the lake and he's watching his disciples battling the storm on the mountain. And so he's up there and he could just say, you know, be still. And it'd be instantly still. But instead, he prays there like all night till nearly morning, watching the disciples who are already tired and frustrated to start with, battling the storm all night. And then it goes on. Jesus decides, I'm just going to walk across the other side. And, but he's not even walking to them. It says in Mark 6 that he was walking and was about to pass them by. Just chilling on. Sup, guys? Been battling the storm all night, showing you my compassion. I'll just show it to them. You guys can learn something in the process. And it says that they saw him and they were terrified because they thought he was a ghost. And they call out to him as he was about to pass them by, not even recognizing who he was. And as they called out to him, going, oh, it's a ghost. He said, no, I'm not a ghost. Relax, it's me. It's Jesus. And then he hops in the boat and calms the storm. And it says this that they hadn't understood the miracles that Jesus had done because their hearts had been hardened. See, they got into a place where they were doing all the right stuff. Like they looked like the most phenomenal church on the planet, but in the process of being supernatural, in the process of being powerful, in the process of seeing God's supernatural provision, somewhere, somehow, they were still in the process of needing to learn what compassion looked like needing to learn the basics of what love looked like. And so Jesus is tapping into the supernatural realm of compassion that interlocks and partners with faith that places a demand on heaven. Because what compassion does is it takes what is unexpected and unreasonable and places a demand on heaven for it to happen. 
Jesus looks at 5,000 people because these guys have got nothing. I have to feed them. It's an unreasonable request, but compassion doesn't want to see people go away hungry. And where there's not a practical solution for compassion to be achieved, then the supernatural has to kick in and do what couldn't be done. But because the disciples were still learning what compassion looked like, when they ended up in a storm, they went from victory to frustration to a storm in the midst of a storm because they hadn't been able to tap into compassion. They couldn't even recognize what Jesus was doing in that season. And then so Jesus hops in the boat, but Jesus is so good, he's going to look after them anyway. The boat goes on the other side, and there's another crowd of sick people waiting. So now Jesus has been up for about 36 hours, still trying to process through grief, meeting everybody's needs, connecting in with the disciples, trying to teach them. And it says this at the end of the chapter, that all the sick people from the towns gathered and they begged Jesus to heal them. I believe as a church, there's something of the supernatural compassion for us to tap into that when it feels like that we're ready to tap out, that we can begin to go, Jesus, what are you doing in this? Jesus, I need to connect in with your heart of compassion. God, I, I honestly, I can't do it. But God, would you release compassion to me? And then like, at the end of this message, we're not gonna do an altar call and get people up and just release compassion because what, what I believe would be more powerful is I want to give you a practical example of what you could do that would be compassionate and then take your steps so that you're partnering in faith with what God has to release it. As we make compassionate, conscious choices, we're making room for God to release the motivation or the emotional content around that to begin to let it flow through us naturally. And it may even just feel artificial to start with, and that's okay. Because as we take a step towards what God is doing, He takes so many steps towards us. There's this awesome guy, I'm just going to finish off with this last story called uh, John G. Lake. And John G. Lake was an amazing healing revivalist. He was in the early 1900s, and he did a massive ministry in, in Africa. And when he came back from Africa, he set up healing rooms in America, and they had a healing room in one city. I think from memory, they averaged 250 healings a week in this town, and the newspapers would come and do um, regular reports on all these healings. But when he was in Africa, he went to a village where, where a baby had died. And, and the mum brings John G. Lake, who, who dead baby, it's like, you know, I need you to raise my baby back to life. And this guy has seen hundreds and thousands of supernatural miracles. They say in one of the books about him that the presence of God was so thick around him that often you couldn't walk within a six-foot radius of him because you would just fall down under the presence of God. So he could just move through a crowd and it would just part from us. People would just fall down to the left and to the right. This phenomenal anointing. So he takes this baby, this man of, of super faith who's seen God do incredible things and begins to pray for the child, just pouring out the authority of Jesus Christ over that spirit of death to see it broken and the baby set free. And as he begins to pray, nothing happens. So he keeps praying and nothing happens and he keeps praying and nothing happens and he keeps praying and still nothing happens. So eventually, you know, he says, oh, I'm very sorry, you know, and gives the baby back to the mother and he begins to walk away from the village. And the mom who's just there left with the brokenness in her heart just begins to weep over her baby. And then as the sound of the weeping gets louder and louder and, and John, he's walking away from the village and the, and the weeping turns to wailing. 
his heart breaks and he runs back, takes the baby and in tears cries again. And the baby comes back to life. See, there's, there's something around compassion that is just another facet of who Jesus is. In every situation that we ever find ourselves, Jesus is always the answer. But what Jesus manifests in, what facet of Him, it, it brings that breakthrough, can be different in so many ways. And this morning, I'm just talking about compassion. There are so many aspects of who He is, but who He is is gonna see 10,000 people in our community radically changed. Some of those people are gonna be radically impacted because we move towards them with compassion and compassion was the key to unlock the brokenness. Compassion was the key to see them set free. Compassion was the key for anxiety to break off their life and compassion was the key for us to have another level of energy where our own world was saying, you know what, just camp in grief or just camp in what you've done. Just settle for where you've got to. You've done more than enough already. But compassion compels us. It's not a striving. It's a natural cause and effect when we experience the momentum of God's heart that we simply move forward. And compassion isn't feeling sorry. It's having the realization that we have the power and the love to alter another person's reality. Can we get that picture on the big screen, Jonty? So this morning, a practical way that as a church we can tap into compassion is this guy, Josh. Josh is amazing. He's 15, joined our youth group about a year and a half ago, and now the whole family come to church here. Awesome young man. Uh, about three weeks ago, he got a stomach bug, and the stomach bug got worse and worse, and then began to attack his bowels. And uh, Glenn and I and Mitch went in onto the hospital. He'd been in there for about a week on Wednesday to pray for him, because that morning, the doctors came in and said, like this is escalating so quickly that if we don't operate and remove part of your bowels, you're likely gonna die within 24 hours. And so we're in there praying and you know, this young guy is just like in shock and going, you know, they're, they're telling me they're gonna remove my bowels and best case scenario is gonna be a six to 12 month recovery with a bag externally attached to my body so that I can continue to function, so I can continue to eat and my body can do its natural thing. But they're saying that another scenario is they operate and they're gonna to have to take my whole bowels out and part of my intestines and I could be on a bag for the rest of my life. But I've only just found out today and we've got 24 hours to work out what we're gonna do. And so we're in there praying and we're just wanting, and all honestly, I'm wanting God, like heal Him right now. Just heal Him right now, Jesus. And like as a church, we believe that Jesus, everyone that came to Jesus was healed. And we're still growing into the maturity of understanding. There's so many things that I just, you know what, I just don't know. And Jesus knows, maybe one day He'll tell me why, or maybe one day I just won't need to know. But we're praying, and He doesn't instantly get healed. And He goes into surgery, and the operation goes incredibly well. And they're saying, instead of being six to 12 months, it's now three to six months. And he came out of the um, recovery ward, I think it was two or three days sooner than they were expecting. And his dad, Phil, was just telling me yesterday, he's already up, walking up and down around the hospital, recovering so quickly. But Josh is gonna have this bag on him, is expected three to six months. And the family have just gone through a really tough time. And I think how amazing would it be for us as a family to go, you know what, as a church, we're gonna extend compassion 
onto this family. And that could look like just praying for them regularly. It could, like they were telling me in the first service, someone said, you know what, we're just gonna fill your shit up with firewood. You could take meals around them. You could write them cards. Did someone come up to me after the service going, can I get their bank account details? I just wanna put money into their hands. Just something so practical. So I just wanna tell you like, this week, partner with compassion and as a family, one of the ways you can do that is moving towards the McQuillan family and just extending love. And just come see me after the service if you need details. If you just want to give financially, you can just do that at FPOS out the back. Another way that you can partner with Compassion is we've got our Christmas tree out the back. You can write someone's name down that you're wanting to bless and be praying for, for Jesus to enter their world, that you want to release the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Just write their name down on one of the tags, put it on the tree and begin praying with them. We've got our pantry team as well, and that they've been taking out food today. We've had 60 food parcels given through them into the community. And they don't just give food, they ask for opportunity to pray for people. And it's an incredible, practical and supernatural aspect of love coming together. So this week, let's understand that compassion gives us another level of energy and resources of heaven at our fingertips. And let's do something practical with that this week. Awesome.